Hello, and welcome to the spooky edition 2021 of the Fancy Fantasy Football Podcast, which has nothing to do with fantasy football for the past two years. I am here again in this spooky season to discuss arguably spooky movies with my spooky movie viewing friend, Abby Saul. Say hello, Abby. How is it going? It's good. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Pat. I miss you, Fantasy Football League. Yeah, we should do it again next year. It's been too long, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that did not stop us. We are still in frequent communication, and uh, we went... We undertook an even more ambitious than previous year's slate of Halloween movies and TV shows. Again, spooky could be a misnomer, as we will likely discuss. But we spread it out over two months this time so that we could watch so much stuff. And so much stuff we did watch. Yes, I was going to say that you and I have been texting about what should be on this list for many months and I watched the first scary movie of The Batch on September 5th. We really did give it a full two months. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to give a quick... We're not going to talk about every movie and show because there are too many. Uh, it would be too long, even in the pretend universe, that there are a lot of people interested in listening to a long podcast about this. Uh, so to keep things tight, we will not talk about everything, but I will give a quick rundown of everything that was viewed as part of our halloween celebration abby watched a lot of these i have watched all of these that i will name uh here we go malignant shutter 2004 edition saint maud prince of darkness they live train to basan possessor coco d coco da 1992 Candyman, 2021 Candyman, werewolves within fear street volume one fear street volume two fear street volume three pig coherence Jennifer's Body, A Quiet Place 2, Creep Show, Evil Dead 2, Don't Breathe, Afflicted, Midnight Mass, The Netflix Show, Squid Game, The Netflix Show, Hocus Pocus, Practical Magic, Beetlejuice. Does that cover it? Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, and man, you watched so many. I feel like I did, I did my darndest, but you really were on top of it, Pat. I think I watched 26 new things and Beetlejuice. 27 things total. Amazing. All right. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you consume this much Halloween-related media, you see common threads, in my opinion. And so some of them are obvious. Like, I, they're too obvious to even mention. But some of them were pretty weird, I thought, uh, that I would not have assumed would be in multiple movies that I see within days of each other. So, like, Absolutely. for instance, Abby, you are aware... I assume you you uh, study women's issues and feminism. I do, yes. A student. Uh, are 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 you aware that horror movies are often unkind to women? What? Um. Yes, completely. They yes. The the victim. They're actually so much so that there was a a mystery book that came out this year called The Last Girls Support Group. Um, that's about women who have sort of survived these horrific situations supporting each other. So. Yes, they are often treated very poorly as victims or if they're the people who survive. Yeah, I feel like a huge percentage of horror movies, obviously the woman is either just a victim and out of the movie or like the victim who has to overcome her victimhood and become empowered, but it's still her getting just terrible things happening to her. Completely. 
However, that is too broad to go into depth. But a specific trend I noticed in several of the things I watched, you watched some of these, was uh, pregnant women specifically, not just ladies, but pregnant women had a lot of trouble in these movies. It's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, real bummer. They just really wanted to amp up uh, how sad it was. And specifically, Train to Busan yeah. prominently features a pregnant woman. Uh, and we will discuss Pre- Train to Busan is one of the movies we will talk about in depth. Also, Malignant, which... I thought was a very bad movie, but it was insane and kind of funny how weird and bad and off the wall it was. Um, But I don't think we're going to go into it. That featured a woman uh, who, as a plot device, essentially had a miscarriage or multiple miscarriages. Oh, boy. Uh, Midnight Mass. uh, Mm -hmm. The main female character, essentially, uh, had pregnancy loss as well as as a plot item. And Don't Breathe, uh, a late comer at the end of the plot, they introduce uh, like a really troubling pregnant woman plot line. Like you don't, you don't have it for like three quarters of the movie. And then all of a sudden, hey, by the way, so they a terrible really, thing is happening to a pregnant lady. They were really putting that in there to really just make it terrible at the end. Yeah. Oof. Uh, so that just happened all over the place. And it was so weird to see so many movies. And, and you know... As I said, I've been aware of the problems in media with women and especially horror movies. Uh, So that isn't a surprise to me. And and maybe, like, abusing pregnant women is also incredibly, incredibly common. And I'm just becoming aware of this. But it seemed marked to me in my viewing. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Boo. Uh, Boo, I say. Yes. Thumbs down to pregnant women victims in horror tropes. Uh. Another one that, again, is probably a very common theme, but was done kind of in an overlapping way that was surprising to me, was specifically how religion was used in a couple of the things we watched. Uh, specifically, I'm referring to St. Maud and Midnight Mass, which we will talk about both in depth. So won't go crazy talking about this now, but what did you think of how religion was handled in those two movies? Well, it, it felt like... Uh, the people behind those movies and shows were were trying to really work something out. I mean, I think religion often plays a role in horror movies as just sort of like scary imagery, maybe. And it felt like with both of those, like people were maybe like asking themselves some tough questions about religion and what it brings and sort of the the evils that can spring from it. But um, that was one of my sticking points with Midnight Mass, actually. So I'll be interested to get into that a little bit more. But um, heavy-handed in that you couldn't escape from the religion in those two movies. But also I think to me, it gave me a lot to think about more than just like, oh, a scary nun or something that you might expect from a horror movie. Yeah. Like obviously in a lot of horror movies, like religious imagery is super Mm -hmm. common, like nuns or demons or possession or uh, Mm -hmm. priests. Uh, A lot of that stuff is like the imagery itself is often used to dramatic effect, but in both St. Maud and Midnight Mass, it was like religion itself, religiosity was like the source of evil in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that it was interesting to see those close together, I thought. And finally, just as we kick off, the most surprising theme of Halloween movies 2021 to me was extremely long, extended paper mache puppet scenes. 
which happened in both Candyman 2021 and Coco di Coco da in a very stylistically similar way. And that was crazy. Oh, similar. Um, and yes, it was. Again, I feel like sometimes there's weird stuff in scary movies where you might see it in passing. But in both of those, I wish we had like the the green time of how long those puppets were on the screen because it was minutes. I mean, many minutes long. Like, I mean, it, it just sort of kept happening. And Candyman 2, they sort of used it to recap it um, the the former film, but then they also used it at the end in this sort of terrifying way. It was very interesting. And, and yes, stylized so similarly to each other. It was, it's like they had a meeting about it. It felt. Yeah. It was like silhouetted paper craft cartooning stop motion kind of puppety stuff. Mm-hmm. Very strange. And uh, otherwise I, I, films. So it, it yeah, is exactly something. Yeah. I will. I guess I could say um, I, I rewatched Beetlejuice, as I said, and there's like the effects in that are very paper crafty, claymationy, mm. but obviously it's not at all in the same realm as Candyman 2021 and Kokodi Kokuda. No. But anyway, those are some themes. So like keep an eye out in 2022. See if it's the year of um, Fabergé eggs in horror movies or something. I don't know what's next. Something we can't expect. We'll throw yes. it mm-hmm. So uh, what we talked about doing, because there were too many, we were so good and aggressive in viewing so much stuff. <laughs> uh, we thought maybe we would pare down the list of 27 movies to some favorite ones and some less favorite ones, just so that they'd be fun to talk about. And we did not have precise overlap. So there's a little bit of overlap, a little bit of not overlap. So I think right now, um, how about we can go three, two, one, top three. And if you have a tie, you can do three A and three B for you. We'll count down our favorite movies. And then at the end, we'll do uh, the ones that we like the least out of the entire list. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So what is uh, your third favorite or 3B of the movies you we watched this year? So I I think I'll say that 3B was Pig, the Nicolas Cage movie um, that I went into knowing nothing about and is about a former chef who has a truffle pig who gets taken and he is sure going to get that pig back he goes on a quest to the city and risks his life and limb to get that try to get that pig back that is very accurate yes uh so as a always spoilers for every single movie we're going to discuss for the most part maybe i won't like if there's like a real twist maybe i won't go into depth on it but pretty much every movie we're going to talk about the plot i'm going to timestamp when we're talking about each movie but if you want to know nothing about any of these movies completely skip the section about that given movie. So pig. Yes. Uh, this is going to start off the topic of how the Halloween movies were not scary at all. Yes. I, you know, I'm not like super sensitive to spoilers. I don't, I don't like go into media silent mode when I, I am anticipating a movie or anything like that. I don't stay off Twitter and try to avoid spoilers like desperately, but I don't want to know much about them if I can avoid it. I'll watch trailers and some of these movies, I feel like the trailers distinctly gave me an impression of what they would be like. And I completely missed the mark or the trailers were deceptive and I did not realize what they were. Pig, 
I thought would be at least moody in a way that was kind of uneasy. And furthermore, I thought it would maybe be like at least revengey. Um, you know, from the trailers that he uh, misses his pig and he really wants it back. And I thought he was kind of going to go on a vendetta mission and it looked kind of dark. It like the, it's very like natural and like dim and gritty. And so I thought maybe it would be, if not a scary movie, at least kind of like an, a tense revenge tale. And it was completely not that. It was very dramatic. It, yes, it was dramatic. It was sort of like brown tone the whole time. You're completely right. Um, but it was, it, he really liked that pig. He had been through some stuff in his past that he was dealing with. It felt very much to me, the only note I took on that movie was it's just the movie chef with underground fighting. That's ba- that is what it felt like. It had the sentimentality in a lot of ways of chef of just like food has this power and you can connect with people through food. And they just beat Nick Cage up early on and often. Um, and then he did not once wash his face and just walked around filthy learning that food still has power and not finding his pig. Yeah. I, I see the connection to the movie chef. My uh, direct cheap comparison is again, not at all action paced or even revengey, but John wick, those movies exist in a universe where there are all of these international assassins and they have a, an elaborate network and there's a hotel and there's a, an elaborate gold coin payment system. Ah. And it's this whole alternate reality where like slightly under the surface, there's this entire other world of assassins. And similarly, <laughs> Pig had this entire other alternate reality where there's like underground, just absolutely cutthroat chefs and supply, like ingredient suppliers and, and f- underground fighting rings. Yeah. Like, Bus boys also, it seemed like just restaurant staff in general. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was absurd. So like the alternate reality fighting part of it, but no revenge. That part reminds me of John Wick. And then the sadness and the washed up, like evaluating the point of your life reminded me of the movie The Wrestler. Mm, sure. Uh, similar, and... similar tone and like uh, stylistic vibe of The Wrestler too. Yeah, so so I feel like this was John Wick minus action, minus revenge plus the wrestler. That's my plus, summary. Plus food, plus the little chef, plus tail. ratatouille. Yes, plus ratatouille. Um, I ultimately enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't hate it, right? I think I it wasn't quite what I was thinking. I felt like I wasn't completely convinced by the end exactly what it was trying to do or say. Um, but it was. I feel like it's it sort of started in one place and ended in a similar place. And I, I didn't hate the ride though. I had a lot of questions about the ride. Um, yeah. That was the takeaway of that. It felt yeah. well done. I think. I agree. I think, it, I think it was like well done. I, um, as I said, my expectations were not set properly, so it wasn't the movie I thought it was going to be. So in that, in a way it was disappointing because it did not meet my expectations. Um, but for what it was, I did enjoy the vibe to some extent. And especially Jen, like practically like rolled her eyes. I got a kick out of some of the dialogue, just the way that the characters spoke and interacted with each other was really odd, but kind of, uh, interesting to me. 
They pulled a couple of the oddness. Yeah, like it, they just sort of owned it and I, it made it work in that way, I think. Yeah, the two lines that I wrote down were uh, when he goes into the very fancy restaurant and he's completely disgusting uh, and they're talking to the chef who used to be his protege or even sub-protege, like his like, you know, busboy practically. Uh, and they're talking about fine dining. And then the guy gets excited because he realizes how famous Nicolas Cage's character is. But he's just covered in grime and blood. And so just mid-conversation, he's like, I'm sorry, do you need medical attention? And just like interrupting his own intense food discussion and his excitement for truffles and, you know, sea foams and things. I just really thought that was funny. I loved it. Yes, I also really liked that. And then the last uh, line that I wrote down specifically was when he was on his, again, not revenge, but his like um, performatively persuasive uh, grand meal at the end of the movie. Yes. He was like gathering ingredients from all over the city. And uh, he went into another former protege. I guess apparently this is where his restaurant used to be located. And now it's a bakery. And he said... <laughs> Do you still make the salted baguette? Robin, extremely long pause. I do still make it. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny to me, like such an intense, like. So serious about bread. <laughs> yeah, so serious about bread and the, like the extremely long pause and drama, like, I do still make it. <laughs> Such a weird way to speak. And I thought it was funny. Yeah, that was a strange movie. Strange movie, but interesting. I'm glad you put it on the list. It definitely was not in my top three but it was interesting and I'm glad I watched it. I'm not sure Jen was glad she watched it, <laughs> to be frank. I will go with my third one now. I did not have a tie, so I just have a top three. I'm going to say my third favorite, and I, I think this one is a source of disagreement, is They Live, the John Carpenter movie, which is one that you did also watch. Um, okay. So I'll go first. Go ahead. Uh, so yeah, I hadn't seen this before. I'd seen other John Carpenter movies. I think... Ex- by far, my favorite John Carpenter movie has to be The Thing. And it is like, as I watch more and more horror movies these past few years, I have reevaluated it and I keep raising it higher on my all-time list. It's so good. I wish the effects of The Thing were not as cheesy as they are. They're like gross and cheesy and I don't think yeah. they aged well, but some people are into it. But the plot is so good and it's so well executed plot-wise that I like it. So They Live now is not as high as the thing, but I liked it enough to put it towards the top of my John Carpenter favorites. It's very cheesy, also similar, like more cheesy than the thing. It's not trying to be as serious or scary as the thing, but it is cheesy. It's starring Roddy Piper right off the bat. That's a winning formula. He had um, a mullet. He had a mullet, and he took off his shirt at one point and just was like ripped, and it was unexpected. Yeah, he was quite something. Strong Canadian accent. Yeah. It was good. I and um, so it also was not scary. It was too cheesy and goofy to be scary. But the vibe of it, the plot, I knew nothing about the plot, and I learned that the obey, the ubiquitous obey signs and tattoos and pop culture reference where people say obey, and they're obviously implying a either monoculture or secret government cabal brainwashing thing. I didn't realize obey was from they live. Me neither. I didn't know that either. And that was cool to be like, oh, it's this. <laughs> this is where yeah. that's mm-hmm. And so it felt to me like a very cheesy, very long 
80s Twilight Zone episode. The plot was very much like we have a specific idea about this subliminal messaging and aliens and like this like essentially like extraterrestrial Illuminati controlling the world. And we're going to just go into it a little over the top, violent and cheesy and ridiculous. But we want to just take this idea to its logical extreme. And so it felt like the Twilight Zone kind of, but done in a John Carpenter style. And I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, So overall, I liked it quite a bit. And I was very happy to see it. And it really was interesting to see all these visual references and things like that that I had no idea where they started from. And it turns out from this specific John Carpenter movie that I'd never seen before. Yeah, I I probably wouldn't have watched it except that you had said that you liked it. It was the last movie I watched. I was trying to fit in one more. Um, I watched the trailer. And speaking of trailers, not doing great expectation work. Like, notoriously, movies of this era have terrible trailers in my experience. Like, they just, like, and maybe it's a little bit me, but they actively make me not want to watch it. And so we just sort of, like, powered through the trailer and did watch it. Gary watched this one with me. Um. And I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And I also, I, I think the thing is probably my my favorite John Carpenter as well. I thought that the first half of They Live was pretty spectacular because you just, you felt like it, it had its cheesy moments. It had the Smollett Man. It was very of its era, it felt like. But it, it sort of felt like you felt unsettled uh, and like something wrong was happening, but it was just that basically there were rich people and poor people. Like it, it wasn't the way just our culture was working was sort of the scary element, right? The sort of discomforting thing. And I, I enjoyed that so much. And I enjoyed this guy who was noticing stuff and sort of figuring out something was wrong. Um, there's sort of like some police brutality at some point, And it turns out the police are connected to the aliens. And so there's a power struggle there. And um, I thought all of that was really solid at the sort of initial reveal when he puts on the sunglasses that let him see. I also liked that. And then I felt like it just went downhill from there. A little bit of cheesiness. I think there's a dated element that I just couldn't get over, which isn't always fair to old movies. I I just had like too many questions that weren't answered. And there were too many sort of kind of lame moments um, for example, he sees his initial reaction upon seeing that like half of the people he's seeing are these really grotesque monster alien faces. He goes from just being like, what? Like what? And these obey signs and just the world doesn't look like the way he thinks it does. And it felt sort of like Matrix, you know, like laying the groundwork for the Matrix to me. And, and I was really intrigued by that. But his reaction very shortly thereafter was just to get a gun and start shooting people. <laughs> like he just, he got, he was just aggressive instantly instead of scared or trying to figure out what was going on. He was just like, I see monsters, so I'm going to kill these monsters. And I think that's when it sort of tipped to like, sort of just about aggression. There was like that eight minute long fight scene that was so long and yes. just some pro wrestling in the thing. And then I just think there were sort of, they then just like pinpointed like we have to just stop the the TV station from doing the raid. I don't I had it sort of the plot didn't keep up with me, I think, in the second half. For it has I liked how much how it started and then it sort of went off the rails a little bit for it to be in my top. Though it was solidly in the middle. Yeah. I, I agree completely with your criticism. Uh I had almost exactly the same note. I said um do 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 
he really quickly decided to go on a rampage. <laughs> like he just, yeah, he's like flipped a switch. He is like this guy who's down on his luck. He is just, he believes in the American dream and working hard and wanting to overcome difficult circumstances. And then he realizes that there's aliens controlling everything and people are brainwashed and he just decides to murder everyone. He like just shoots like so many people. So many people. Yes. And mm-hmm. yes, agree. Uh, the fight with his friend who was trying to convince what was going on. He, he was trying to give his friend these shades that lets him see the real world and uh, takes the scales away from his eyes and see reality, kind of the, the red pill of the Matrix. And the friend is so adamant to not do it, which also just the premise of that fight was so absurd. Like, just put the glasses on, man. Why are you going to beat each other to like hospitalization just to not put on these shades? They beat each other up so much. And I... I was reading, I, I think it's like 16 minutes of fight. Like it just, it just kept going. It was such a long fight. It was crazy. Um, but I, on the themes part that you mentioned in the front, I also wrote down, like, I agree that it's, it it's interestingly still applicable that it's all about, yeah, like yes. rich class taking advantage of the poor and police brutality. Uh, it, it like, it's totally a modern message still, which is, Interesting and also very sad, obviously, that it's still yeah, yeah, completely. I felt that too. I was like, oh, it's a bummer that how much we can still relate to this. And I think I had a moment of, um, in doing a little reading about that movie after watching it, that apparently like a remake was mentioned at one point, and they haven't ever done that. And I'm just sort of intrigued. I do wonder about that movie being made today. Like, would it be solely? the matrix like has it already been made or sort of what would they do with the issues I had in the second half to sort of tighten the plot up. I'd I'd be intrigued to see about that. But also I do think especially that beginning and I was sort of going in being like, I'm not going to like this. I think that is so skillfully John Carpenter about just like creating the sort of unsettled space. You get to know people very quickly, very well. And then this, you know, this single person, noticing that something is awry and sort of exploring it and the consequences of that um yeah oh my gosh and then that woman pushed him out the window that was also very dramatic she was like trying to escape him and he fell out a window and like down a hill it was he just he really got very beat up in that movie yeah it was a very physical role you could say absolutely poor poor, rowdy roddy piper Mm -hmm. what do you have for your next movie on the list so really on the same par as as Pig for me in, in terms of, I think, enjoyment and, and pulling off the vibe, I, it was St. Maud, which I similarly didn't know very much about. I, I think a Welsh film, British Welsh, um, but about an, a nurse caretaker um, who seems to have an interesting past who goes to care for a woman in her home and then becomes kind of obsessed with saving her soul before she dies. I liked it. I It gave me, as I mentioned to you, Pat, like it gave me some promising young woman vibes in terms of just telling a pretty tight story, being a little unsettling the whole time. I think we, we all thought it was going to be scarier than it was. And it had really until the end, it wasn't very scary. It really was more just unsettling. Um, and again, having the religious aspect of it, she had been quote unquote saved, but experienced God in a very physical, orgasmic way um, and was led by him um, sometimes vocally to do things. And really, I think our takeaway was he was just mentally ill 
um, but believed very strongly that she was doing things for God and sort of how it catapulted on itself and where it ended up in this scary thing. It had perhaps some of the scarier imagery of many of the movies, um, but they were so fleeting and it was tied in, again, this vibe of sort of like indie film or I almost felt, you know, she was in this house on the hill. It was sort of like BBC mystery. It was doing, it wasn't as horror movie as I went in thinking, which made me like it. But I also sort of thought it would be scarier than it was. Yeah. I, I agree with a lot of what you said there again. Like, it, yeah, it was like very vibey, like very artistic. It was, yeah, mm-hmm. like an artsy horror adjacent Art- movie. Mm-hmm. Good imagery, good filming, good performances. Um, and yeah, it, again, religion. So this is the one really where religion was such a theme. They don't, they kind of slowly unwind for you. She's very, very, very religious. Um, and she believes that she can hear and feel God. And yeah, it turned like weirdly sexual with God mm-hmm. sometimes. Uh, and she like does penance and physically punishes herself a lot. Like she's just a extremely devout Christian woman who maybe is experiencing miracles or something. And they slowly unravel it to the point that you're like, okay, this is definitely delusional and she is an unreliable narrator and everything we've seen is a lie pretty much uh so that was cool there yeah yeah pretty uncomfortable stuff uh with with the plot like i don't know there was they did a good job of unsettling you with how they're handling it i after we watched it i read the like two sentence summary on whatever service I rented it on. I think it was Amazon or something. And it, and it says something effective, like, and then she talks to her friend and you realize not everything may be what it is. Or a friend re- reveals uh, an occurrence from her past and you, you question if what's going on or something. And I was like, man, I was questioning what was going on way before she talked to her yes. friend. Oh gosh, that was so, that was so late in the movie. It feels like to me. And also, yeah, she was, Things were weird before then. I was not settled comfortably thinking that she was going to be a good nurse or something like that. That's interesting. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so for the plot, like, I I liked the unraveling of her and it was an interesting story of, yeah, just someone who is so zealous that they are insane, essentially, and they unravel and they take their beliefs so seriously that they'll do anything. Um, And so then it ends in a pretty spectacular fashion along those lines. Yeah. And I think also take their beliefs so far. I mean, she, I think the hurting other people was implied um, just sort of by the nature of the film, but also I think, yeah, the sort of the detriment to herself as well, that she was willing to, what she was willing to do to herself. And ultimately um, that religion caused that too. Yeah. A bummer, a bummer, that one. Indeed. What's number two for you? Pat? Uh, for me, number two is uh, unfortunately one you have not seen. That's fine. Uh, but it is Afflicted. And this one is thematically, I would put uh, St. Maud on the left side, and I would put Midnight Mass in the middle, and I put Afflicted on the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are thematically tied together, but not but the one but Afflicted and St. Maud are not very related, but Midnight Mass is very closely related to both of them. Um, 
So Afflicted, I also didn't know much about. The trailer is really good. Unlike old movies, you should watch the trailer for Afflicted. It's it's very eye-catching. These two buddies are going on a round-the-world trip. They save, they like fundraise for a long time. One of the buddies is like a documentarian, and he has all these really nice cameras, and he's going with his best friend. They kind of hint that his best friend is like dying of some disease, and so this is maybe like a last hurrah type thing or just like something you wanted to do. And so they start traveling the world, and then the friend who's sick or something hooks up with a girl in like Eastern Europe and then he gets real sick and is dying and he, but then he starts surprise twist turning into a vampire. Vampire. Interesting. Yeah. He starts getting like superpowers and he thinks it's awesome. He can like jump 30 feet and like punch through walls. And he's like, I feel amazing. And so this documentarian friend is like, uh, recording the whole thing and he's like these feats of strength and speed he's like running along a car like he has like a, a motorcycle and he's recording it and he's looking at the speedometer and the friend's like like running like 50 miles an hour or something and he's doing all this crazy superhero stuff and it's like whoa this movie's crazy and then he starts getting sicker and sicker and then he can't go out in the sun and then he starts craving blood and uh so it was like i had no idea that it was a movie about vampirism and it was kind of cool. And and I the style of it with, like, the quasi-reality, um, like, video diary type thing was cool. It does fall apart at the end a little bit, as a lot of movies do. But I, I enjoyed the way it was made. It was very slick, even, obviously low budget. It was, like, a couple of friends with no budget. I believe the stars of the movie are the filmmakers. And – but they – slickly put it together and it was brisk and fun and it, and it was a big surprise to me that it ended up being about vampires well I, that was one that I actually i wanted to watch because it seemed cool in the way i did i saw some of the trailer and it seemed up my alley the reason i didn't watch it was that i was worried it was going to make me motion sick because the trailer did a little bit um because of that that sort of like first person handheld camera stuff yeah, I a just, lot of shaky cam too shaky um, so that that was top of my list to watch last night as the last movie, and we went with They Live instead. But I'm glad it was good. So maybe one day with some Dramamine, I can watch that one. Yeah, I don't think it gets a lot better on the shakiness, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but it was cool. I I enjoyed it, and it was a, a pleasant surprise for me. Nice. And what is um, your number two? So my number two... Um, is Train to Busan, which sort of surprised me because I was reluctant to watch it just because of uh, zombie movies a la 28 Days Later. I always like them, it turns out, but they stress me out. That kind of societal collapse and how people handle that and trying to get in this instance, they're just trying to get to the safe city. They're literally on a train trying to do that. Um, I don't like thinking about it. I get nervous. Um, so I was sort of dragging my feet about it. Um, but I'm, I am very glad we watched it, both because of, I think, sort of culturally, ignorantly, I had just watched Squid Game, too. So it was sort of cool to watch more Korean media, I think, in, in the vein of that. And there was some overlap, or at least one overlap of um, actors in it. It felt, it was probably the most sort of jump scary of, of any of the movies I watched. Um, and the zombies were scary um and creepy 
And so I liked, again, I sort of enjoyed the vibe. It was a, it was a rush of just, they were literally trying to get away from the bad guys. That movie sure didn't hold back from killing a lot of characters, which I sort of applaud in horror movies that you don't really know who actually is going to get out because anyone is sort of fair game to die. So I had, I think I had more fun watching it than I was expecting. It also it was far more sentimental than I was expecting. And I think it was a little too long. Like I think it, it, they set up sort of like zombie rules that were very clear and very easily seen by the characters at the very beginning. Um, and then I thought didn't necessarily use those to their effect in the way that they could have, like I, the zombies can't see in the dark or were it was okay as long as the zombies couldn't see you. And I thought they did a, a few cool things with that. And then a few like, either just repeat things or they didn't sort of move on from those very sort of easy parameters. Um, They played a little fast and loose with how quickly you turned into a zombie. Some zombies happened in like seconds and some people sort of had been bit and it took longer for them to happen. Um, But really I think the sentimentality, like it ultimately was about like being a good dad. (laughs) And that that was a surprising sort of events that I liked a little less. I think if it had just been sort of slicker, stuck with this sort of slick action, just the conceit of being on a train where half of it is zombies and half of it isn't, and where are you even going and where it can be safe, I thought that was a really cool idea that they did pretty well, but didn't totally land the plane, maybe. Or the train. Or the train. Didn't park the train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I liked this a lot as well. It was pretty close to my top three, but didn't quite make it. Um, so... I agree. I thought it was really good. It was like the, very slickly done. Um, I the setup was good. The the characterization at the beginning of the movie was solid, and then when they flip the switch on the zombie, it just goes insane immediately. And and it was very. It did a good job sustaining the sustaining the suspense uh, with those scenes. Uh, but I agree that the dramatic scenes really slowed it down too much it was too saccharine they'd had these long dumb conversations uh that were trying too hard and did not really pull it off i liked the i liked the main characters all a lot uh so overall i liked it a lot the other the kind of a weird criticism of it probably is that unlike other zombie movies obviously every horror movie every movie requires some level of suspension of disbelief this movie it kind of flipped a trigger on my suspension of disbelief because of how perfectly bad this zombie virus was. It was, Mm. it was unbelievable that anyone would recover and like the world would just end in about 15 minutes. If this happened, like it was so unbelievably perfectly designed and terrible. There is seemingly no one who by chance had natural immunity. It was extremely fast acting, 100% fatal, 100% 100% turns you into a blood raving lunatic. Uh, it, it just seemed too bad that all of a, I just was like, well, everyone's dead. Like this is no, no one's getting out of this. It's over. Uh, so I kind of yeah. like partially checked out mentally once they showed how bad the situation was. No, totally. Um, and even I think like the safe spot that they got to at the end, they had just spent an entire movie showing us how hard it was to kill the zombies. And then they were like, but don't worry, this city, we've got like this barricade up. So it's cool. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It did seem because um, I again, like twenty eight days later, is is sort of the zombie movie that I go back to, and there did seem to be sort of this question of some people didn't get it, or maybe you could turn a zombie back, and you know, the sort of having that thing. And you're right, this I think 
it added to the speed at which things escalated in an exciting way, but also like, yeah, that just the whole world is done if this zombie virus is there. I agree with that. I've read the book World War Z, but I've never seen the movie, but I have seen the trailer for World War Z. And I don't. I assume Train to Busan came out first. I think it's a little foggy in my mind, but both of those movies, very excellent based on the trailer of World War Z. Very excellent, like cresting waves of zombies, like just hundreds of zombies yeah. spilling over each other in an absolutely terrifying way. Again, you would just poop your pants and die if that happened. It would be over. Completely. Uh, it's still scary. Yeah. But yeah, I liked that movie. Do we have the same number one? I believe we do based on our discussions. Mm-hmm. This was a mm-hmm. huge surprise to me. Me too. Number one movie, which I had not even th- heard of, except for a friend from law school was like, hey, this movie's kind of good, essentially. Coherence. We both loved Coherence. Did. Yes. What's Coherence about, Pat. Abby? <laughs> what a good question, Pat. Um, <laughs> there's a dinner party of friends, um, and they're having a dinner party while a comet is going over the Earth and traveling very close to Earth. And someone's, like, physicist brother <laughs> says, like, by the way, maybe don't go outside while the comet is going over the Earth. And someone else had done times comets had come close to earth and just sort of the strange happenings of people talking about my husband is no longer my husband or um like i have to report that i killed someone and the police say well no that someone is right there you didn't kill them um so sort of just setting up there's a dinner party of of friends and sort of loved ones with interpersonal relationships and hardships between them that happens to be happening while this comet is going over the comet goes over and weird things start happening. Phones break, power surges happen. Um, they stupidly do go outside to sort of see what's going on. And because we're doing spoilers, it becomes like a quantum physics. They travel through a point and just sort of, there's multitudes, like a multiverse of different dinner parties happening at the same time that the comet sort of opens. Um, and it gets really trippy about who are the original people and what time are we in and who is who. And so we're sort of, we sort of stick with one character and, and follow her journey through the night, but it was cool. It was like time travel and quantum physics. And we read about the cat in the box and, or, you know, they find they have to teach each other some quantum physics. And it was just, I think it was a, I really enjoyed it because I had to do so much thinking. It was unsettling in this very sort of unique way that had nothing to do with horror scares, but just sort of like existential fear of what sort of personhood is and and how time works. And then also I thought that they were very effective about, we sort of thought as things were getting weirder and weirder that we knew we could follow what was happening. We had our core people. There was sort of, it felt like there was one other set of bad people that they were sort of battling against. And we felt like we had the rules of this existence established for us. And then about halfway through three quarters of the way through, they just pull the rug out from you on that. And you realize that you, it is so much worse and so much more complicated than you even imagined. And I really liked that because I very much had a, as a viewer, there was like a hint at one moment of, you know, when there was a different color, uh, light, which they used as a device to sort of tell you who was who, so we thought. 
but there was a moment where I was like, oh gosh, this might be more complicated than I thought. And then like within moments, it was like, you don't even fucking know. Like, it's just like, it's everything. There is the multiverse has no bounds. Everything is messed up. I liked it. Yeah, I really liked it. I liked it a lot too. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I like a movie like that where it is essentially like this was essentially like a sci-fi drama thriller. Yeah. Like yeah. it was, it had this fantastical premise. These people, because of this comet, are exposed to a gateway to the multiverse and there's infinite realities and they are accidentally traveling between them and mixing and matching who is in which reality. Uh, and they're all so close that you can't even tell necessarily. And they just did a good job of setting it up and then trying to see that premise to its logical conclusion. Like that's my favorite type of this movie where they have a really interesting setup and they just really get down in the weeds of the impact that this would have if you were experiencing it. Uh, and, and I thought it was really good. It was obviously like very low budget, like not the best acting of all time. It was not, not the great best acting, no. essentially no effects. Also shaky cam. I'm interested to hear your yes, shaky that, cam. Not a problem. It was shaky, but it wasn't, um, I think because it wasn't ever like eye point of view, it was okay for me. That's good. Yeah. But yeah, just the plot was great. Mostly like, I just thought they did a really good job with it. So it reminded me of one of my favorite movies of all time, primer, which is also no budget sci-fi thriller where someone just thought through this problem as far as they possibly could and made a movie out of it. I love, I love primer and I really, really like coherence in a similar way. Um, I just, and I had no expectations. I didn't know anything about it. It it sounded like an interesting premise and that's all I knew. And I, it was like one of the first ones we watched and I was like, Oh my God, I loved it. Yeah. Yes. I, I, it reminded me of one we watched last year called the invitation, but sort of similarly like, friends gathering on a dark night for a dinner party and things go awry. Um, and that one, I remember feeling very tense from the outset on, um, I enjoyed coherence so much more than that. And I've only seen primer once and I'm sure I could do with a reviewing. Um, I got more out of coherence, but I also think I was being spoon fed a little bit more. <laughs> and I think that's part of it. Like, I'm not sure I understood primer, but I really, I think from a storytelling perspective, not only was I interested in the story, but I also like, they just truly, had me thinking that the story was one thing and it turns out it was something else all along. And, and again, just like the idea that there's infinite multiverse and infinite reality, sort of how that dissolved was like maybe the scary moment of that, you know, just sort of being like, Oh my God, no, like there's no way to fix this. Like it's just fucked up. Yeah. Um, it was very satisfying as a viewer. And I think, speaks to I think it was a very well-written movie even if the acting wasn't tremendous so yeah I, I also really enjoyed it going in blind also something that I think would st- sort of stress me out on paper so I'm glad I didn't know anything about it because I just could enjoy it absolutely mm-hmm. recommend Over, it yes recommend? Uh, to pretty much anyone if anyone that sounds interesting to you and you didn't mind that it was just spoiled for you if you're listening to this <laughs> highly recommend um yes. Those are our favorites. Let's mm-hmm. talk about the other end of the spectrum, shall we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I saw Hocus Pocus for the first time this year. Um, and I have concluded that that was not a good movie. And I suspect that a lot of people's continued enjoyment of it is nostalgia. 
and that a lot of those people don't actually sit down and watch it straight on from beginning to end. I I liked the Halloween vibes of it. I like that there is sort of a non-scary Halloween movie that people can watch. I felt like it was basically unwatchable. And a little bit of that is maybe just like adult grinchiness, but like I just didn't think it was very good. I also did not love Hocus Pocus. I am... 90% sure I'd seen it all the way through before a long time ago and didn't love it, but a lot of people regard it as a perennial must-watch Halloween movie, and so we watched it in a group together with some people very enthusiastic going into it, and I I tried to go in with a good attitude, but I knew I didn't love that movie, and it was not good also. It is bottom two or three for me, sure. It's not my number one bottom movie on this list, but I... Yeah, it was just cheesy, and the plot sucked, and, uh, (laughs) yeah, just not good, just not good. It's it's obviously for children, but also a little scary for children, so it's just, like, medium young children is obviously the target audience, but not very young children. It has some very famous people. Yeah, yes, and but I think also, I mean, I posted just because need that Twitter content for work. And I posted sort of the list of movies that we had watched. Um, and, and the ones that I got the most responses for were Hocus Pocus and Practical Magic, which also was um, sort of middle of my pack. It was my first time seeing that. Obviously not scary at all, but sort of on theme. And those were the ones that the, I got the most responses of like, oh my God, you'd never seen that? That's such a good movie. And I, I, so I do think the default is to love Hocus Pocus. And I just challenge that I think it is because you saw it when you were little and, and liked it and, and you like that it's Halloween-y and more power to you. But I sure, I thought I, I could be won over by Disney movies very easily. And so I thought I would enjoy it. And I was sort of, I think it's the bottom of my list, perhaps not because it was the worst, but because, um, I was sort of blown away by how bad it was in terms of my expectations of it yeah. and it's enduring popularity. My bottom movie has a lot of the same problems. I regret to inform the audience of two to seven people that evil dead two was my worst movie that I watched this season. I and- hated it. Hated it. <laughs> it was so bad. And it's again, it's old. It's cheesy. It makes no sense. And the people who like it obviously have probably sentimentality and nostalgia for it. But both with Evil Dead 2 and Hocus Pocus, perhaps it is just like a genuine love of cheesiness. Um, Some people like possibly can get into the camp aspect of it, but it's not like successful camp in my mind, either Evil Dead 2 or Hocus Pocus. Huh. I that's what I wrote down. I wrote this is camp, but it's not fun. And like, there's movies that are campy and fun, and I just felt like it was just so bad. And I honestly, it took me till the end to realize that it was that it was satire. Like it was it was sort of intended. Like when he actually put the chainsaw on his hand, I was like, oh, okay, you really are trying to do this. And I. I think I knew that it was trying to be like sort of satiric can't be bad the whole time, but I don't know that it knew that it was doing that. It just felt so on the fence about what it was doing and was just 
bad. It just wasn't fun. It was just bad. I would. I agree that it was bad. The acting was bad. The plot made no sense. The effects were bad. And I and like there are other movies from around then that were better looking. I know it was like also indie. You know, like they had no budget at the time they made it. I do disagree that it was not that it that it was taking itself at all seriously before the chainsaw thing. At minimum. When he has, when his hand is attacking his body oh. in a cartoonish way, and sure. it, it's the hand becomes like a slapstick character, and it like it's like dr- swearing under its breath <laughs> as yeah, a hand, and, and like yeah. dragging his whole like it, like he uses his fingers to like drag his body across the floor towards an axe because the hand wants to kill him. Like the hand was obviously extremely silly, so before the hand was removed. And he placed a chainsaw on it. I think it knew what it was doing. I think it. I think it knew the whole time that it wanted to be both cheesy and scary, but it didn't have good writing or acting or effects. Couldn't achieve the scary, and the cheese was just cheese and not like entertaining cheese. Yeah, and and so I think that again, like I think there's this whole like class of movie that this falls into that I just missed the boat on and can never participate in. It's like zero budget, extremely gory horror movies from the seventies and eighties that are just going for a combination of shock and humor. It's like trauma, all the trauma movies and evil dead Two. I I watched evil dead one a few years ago for our Halloween festival. And it was less over the top i think and i was extremely i thought i was accidentally rewatching the same movie because this setup is exactly the same on purpose i think like they it's a complicated reason that they did just the same movie over again but worse yeah right? i think this is like the more beloved one like the chainsaw thing people love the line like when he right after he puts the chainsaw on his hand he goes groovy and that's like famous him saying groovy i think this is the 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 beloved one of the lot and and it was just i think it was worse than evil dead one because it strived for more shock and humor and both were bad it did make me laugh sometimes with the the hand thing was funny i thought so and like when he like attacked like the house and then he just got a fire hose of blood shot at him it was so ridiculous and like again Obviously, this is like an evil presence, uh, so it's not like there's like an individual body that is supposed to be gushing this blood. But it was just a like a swimming pool full of blood just shot at him at high velocity. It was really I thought that was funny, and like again, like obviously it thought it was funny when they like the furniture is laughing and the deer head is laughing. It felt like a like a dark Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah, like. Um... Pee-wee's Funhouse or something, yes. Yeah, and and I'll remind the audience, Beetlejuice, which I rewatched with Jen because she hadn't seen it, um, also doesn't age great, I think. But uh, but also, yeah, just cheesy, rubbery goofiness. Um, also, I have not seen Army of Darkness, and I did not realize that they just throw him into Army of Darkness at the end of this movie. I know the premise of Army of Darkness, and I was very amused to the, when they 
teased it in the middle of the movie because they're looking through the Necronomicon and there's a picture of him with a chainsaw arm from 1300 or whatever. It's like, oh, that's funny. They're, they, I didn't realize they had planned ahead. These movies do not seem like the sort of movies where they care about plot and do any plot yeah. in advance. And then, I, and then at the end of the movie, it's like, oh, they just started Army of Darkness now. I think uh, partially why I like just couldn't even see the any part of the fun of this movie was it had a little bit that thing of like that it just knew it was doing it felt proud of itself I think like it felt like this is like this is absurd and then like almost as if like the director's like looking at the camera being like oh my god can you even believe how absurd I'm willing to go or like look at how funny I think this part is or like look at how stupid this part is and I'm just gonna do it and I feel that a little bit in Tim Burton movies sometimes too of just like can you even believe that like this is what I'm doing and like this is like so grotesque or like so over the top and that I don't like that like self-satisfaction about it and I think this movie like almost from the outset just felt very self-satisfied about what it was doing and I was sort of like contrarily like you're not even doing it well and I genuinely don't think it was doing it well but it made it, it that's what made me be like do you even are you even trying to be satire and like of course it was and I and I agree from the beginning it it was it sort of knew what it was doing but it just rubbed me the wrong way it just was not a movie for me it just wasn't me neither I apparently liked it less than you because I put it at the bottom and you didn't I read riled me up more than Hocus Pocus I think I yeah. think I'm baffled by the popularity of Hocus Pocus but I maybe disliked the experience of watching this more well guess I what I think to some extent we run in different crowds because i'll tell you evil dead 2 is very popular okay well there you go i'm mad about that now too i'm mad about both of those (laughs) popular movies yeah well that was fun i liked talking about those movies and i thought just because a we put so much more time into watching the two series that we are going to discuss and so there's more to talk about and b squid game is like the hottest thing in uh streaming right now that we should also just quickly dabble in our thoughts on Squid Game and Midnight Mass, which we both watched all of. And I think we both liked Squid Game a fair amount, and maybe I liked Midnight Mass more than you did. I liked them both. I, I enjoyed watching them both. I was I was telling you about Midnight Mass that I'm sort of, I'm now, I've grown accustomed to having a, what's his name, Mike Flanagan? Mike? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I like having a Mike Flanagan uh, production to watch around this time because I think he does so many things well like just sort of atmosphere vibe I like being able to fall into a series he has done Haunting of Hill House and the one last year Bly Manor Bly, yeah there you go um I I enjoy I always enjoy them and I always want to watch them to the end and I think with Midnight Mass like it was a really sort of slow start though I liked the island setting and then um, I was really into it and I wanted to keep watching and then I was sort of disappointed by the ending um, in the way that I'm always disappointed by his ending. So I feel like I always enjoy his things and have a lot of criticisms of them. Um, and Squid Game, I think I had a feeling of like, well, everyone's really liking it, so I don't want to like it, which is, again, my contrary nature. Um, and then was kind of hooked from the begin from the first episode when we started watching it and I was totally hooked and really enjoyed the experience of watching it though also of course have criticisms of it but so you liked midnight mass 
I liked it a fair amount. I, I definitely had problems with it. Um, but as I said, it is like the midpoint between Afflicted and St. Maud. I like the fact that both, it is about the pitfalls of uh, religious zealotry. And so they are heavy handed with the religion right off the bat. And I didn't know which direction they were going to take it. If it was just going to be like pure religion horror or maybe even like redeeming religion or what it ended up being, which was like religious zealots be crazy and do bad things. Um, and then on, and then also it was a surprise uh, vampire <laughs> fiction, which mm -hmm. I did not expect. Surprise uh, vampire. Mm -hmm. Just like afflicted. That's another theme. Um <laughs> Yeah, I also have you seen Friday Night Lights? I forget. No, I haven't. So, the guy who played Matt Saracen, QB1 for Friday Night Lights, is the male lead in this. And so, I had affection for him from the start. He, he's, uh, he, he's a likable character in Friday Night Lights, he's like a less likable character in Midnight Mass. But I, I liked that he was in it. I, I liked the having the, like I it was a gimmick uh and a plot device to have the sheriff be muslim um they had to set up the con the religious conflict and also a very uh firm footing for why he would not fall into the same trappings yeah. as the rest of the island but i thought they did a good job with it like they didn't it wasn't it was it was handled delicately more delicately than it could have mm -hmm. they did a good job with it i like that actor who was in bly manor too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was great. I thought he did a yeah. great job. And I thought that Matt Saracen, I only called him Matt in all of my notes, even though his name was Riley in the show, Riley Flynn, I believe. Um, but Matt Saracen and, and his uh, essentially former love interest, um, Aaron, had good banter. Like, I thought that yeah. that was well-written and they had a good dynamic going on. But here's the but. Matt Saracen is just constantly spouting like atheism 101 philosophy and like why God is stupid and like and the people he's around his family and Aaron and the priest like treat him like he's being deep and smart and everything he's saying is so basic and I unfortunately don't actually think he's that good of an actor even though i like matt saracen um so i just don't think he pulled it off i don't i don't know if his character could be pulled off exactly um as written but i don't i especially think he did not pull it off trying to be like this armchair philosopher to the whole town and skeptic mm -hmm. and i hated the way that the priest talked the whole time and i couldn't get I over that either Yes, I think I also, I liked the surprise vampire dumb. I thought the final episodes were actually super interesting. Like the, the second to last one were sort of, that to me was the, again, one of the scarier things we watched in that, like just what humanity does. Like when they were locked in the church together and trying to like making this like really scary choice um, about killing themselves or not, or sort of trusting the vampireness or not. I thought that was like a, so intense and sort of, and sort of spooky and just again, in an unsettling, like 
humanity is not great <laughs> way. Um, and I, I thought they used the island to great effect. I thought I, I thought a lot of the writing was really good. I was into the vibes. Like, I wanted to see what happened. I agree about the priest. And I think, to me, it felt like it was making commentary on sort of blind belief in religious zealotry and the choices that religion can make you make um, and sort of how you would harm others in that way or harm yourself or sort of harm sort of this whole community because of that. And I think it was proud of the commentary it was making. But I think it also just had quite a lot of like religious sermons and religious talking and sort of and defense of religion. And I I think that a, a tighter, perhaps smarter version of it would have explored sort of the vampiric nature of religion in this very blunt way of actually having vampires without having quite as many like God is fantastic sermons. It felt like we were sitting actually in a church a lot of the time. And I think a little bit of that and sort of getting how important the church is to the community and sort of how claustrophobic it makes it and all those things. Some of that is necessary to sort of convey the power that the religion has on this community, but it just really felt like it thought it was taking a stand against religion, but actually giving several hours of sermon um, and sort of religious speak. And so I was, I was frustrated by the balance of that because I think it did a lot of other things really well and sort of interestingly, that was my biggest critique. I agree and disagree. I think like, I agree. It was a lot of it. It was so much, um, to me, the the religious part that was the most over the top and graded on me the most was the soundtrack. Um, mm. Just like mm-hmm. constant hymns, they're in church actually singing hymns. Their opening shots and closing shots every every episode pretty much were hymns. Uh, they like really strongly emphasized all these really religious songs and actual hymns um, throughout. And I thought that was a little bit over the top. The the amount of church they showed was not as grating to me because I think that the, my interpretation, like the, the way that they portrayed, I, although I hated the way he talked the father, like it's just like, um, uh, Jesus really, uh, is the point of love, isn't it? And it, like, he's just like, kind of like low energy, ponderous, extreme pro-religion, just uh, the same thing over and over again. But the way they handled him talking, I thought was well handled. So he was very, he was an actual priest or Monsignor, um, obviously very pious and felt like he experienced a miracle and unquestioningly took that as, as a miracle and um, God's gift. And so I thought that all of his sermons did a good job of like establishing his, the fact that he was his conviction was true, yeah, um, true, that he was really believing what he was saying, and that this was a miracle, and that he was doing the right thing, as contrasted with the evil church lady Bev, who was not a good person, was not actually pious, was just judgmental and evil. Um, so I thought that the church stuff was too long, and yes. like like a lot of limited series, maybe it could have been six or five episodes instead of seven episodes or something like that. Um, but I thought that all of his church stuff was a good job of showing he has truly believed what he was saying 
and a and a ramping up of of the escalating decisions to make and then the remorse um i thought that the whole arc worked out well and the and the church scenes portrayed that like his his sermons being so strong and then like and then like angry aggressive sermon and like putting off the mother of the doctor saying that's not the man i knew like he was he went too far and then after it was too late he realized what he had done and so it didn't bother me quite as much because it just showed his whole arc um and it did and i did like his arc i liked especially sort of where that second to last in last episodes of like where he ended up and how we felt about him um i agree i agree that his arc was good i think it just felt it felt like it was too much religion for a piece that was sort of anti-religion. Um, yeah. And so I, I thought that the balance wasn't quite right there, but I, but I take your point. Um, and I do, I also feel like my criticism of him always is that I, I do think he's heavy handed. I think some of that sentimentality that we talked about in train of train to Passan, I felt that here too. And I, I, that was my big criticism about the end of haunting of Hill house and blind manor too. I think he just gets caught up in, he does people and interpersonal relationships so well that I think sometimes he gets carried away by it. And I felt like there were a few moments that just felt like, okay, like heavy hand, you're still writing just a horror thing. <laughs> like it just a little heavy handed in that way. But I do also appreciate in all of his stuff. Like you, again, you can't, you don't know who's going to get out alive and it's not always who you think it's going to be. And no one is safe. And I, I like that again, as a viewer is just, I think sometimes expectations are subverted and that is a satisfying viewing experience. I agree. I I think I put this second behind Hill House before Bly Manor in my ranking of the past three seasons mm, of his content. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would do the same. I would do the same. Um, And speaking about people not getting out alive, Squid Game. Very many many people people did that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. High fatality rate for the Squid Game, the game of Squid. What do you think Um, of Squid Game? I liked it. I liked it. I also, as ever, I liked it. I think it's flawed. I think that ending was weakest, though. I also, before watching the ending, had heard a lot of people being like, what a dumb twist or so terrible. And I didn't have that feeling. I'm not really sure how it could have ended, but I do think there was just maybe some interesting questions about sort of like, personal responsibility versus responsibility for other people that were being asked the whole time. And he sure made a choice at the end that I disagreed with. Like, I think it was an opportunity for him to not fuck around for a year and help the people who needed help. I hated that so much. I I just, I couldn't, they spent the entire show being like, he's actually a pretty good guy. And then he just like was so self-obsessed about that, but then didn't once sort of, he got that part together after a year of dicking around, like he, couldn't get it together enough to like be a dad to his daughter for a moment. I didn't, I didn't like the ending in that way. And I'm sort of still trying to figure out like, why is it just sort of like the video game nature of it that made it so interesting and okay to watch so many people die every episode. I don't know what that says about our culture or myself. Cause I was also like super caught up and like interested to see how the games would work and all that stuff. But yeah, I thought, um, it was it subverted my expectations as well. Um, even in the second episode, sending them home, I, that sort of blew me away um, and made me very interested about continuing to watch. It was also heavy-handed in places, of course, because it was painting this very sort of broad brush take on a lot of things. But I thought it was 
very interesting and very unique. And I do give just like a huge hooray that something that is not American <laughs> has captured so much American attention because that doesn't happen very often here, I think. What did you think? I, I also liked it a lot. I also had a big problem with the ending and also the VIPs were just atrocious. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I thought it was just like really well made and slick and moved at a great pace the whole time. Like it was just absorbing to watch essentially start from finish. This one I did not feel like they had much fat to trim. Um, no. I, I, yeah, the, the games. And, and as you said, like the video game nature, like I'm not – like an expert expert i play a lot of video games and i'm aware of a lot of video games but i don't play every obscure japanese horror game out there but it is like practically its own genre of like puzzle box death game is <laughs> like uh there's like oh wow there's so many there's like danganronpa and there's 999 and there's all these games that are uh, like very similar in premise that are essentially this show where like you are caught in a competition and you must puzzle your way out and everyone except for one person will die. Um, so it was like immediately kind of familiar to me because of my exposure to that. But there's like, a, there's like so many of those that I don't even know them all. Um, hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it, I, I thought it was cool and interesting and it was well done. I didn't like the ending as well. I didn't like exactly what you said. It was mind boggling that he is supposedly a good dude, but he didn't help these people with his like mass massive wealth that he got for a year. He was just in a stupor allegedly. Um, and the, and, and, and the very end is like setting up to like, Oh, maybe he's going to be, he's going to take down the whole thing. And is there a sequel? And it was just cheesy and silly, but it, it, yeah, I liked the characters. I liked the plotting it just it it strung me along in a good way and i i did like it a lot and i'm glad it's popular but it should not be popular with children good lord no oh my gosh the number of that just like everyone is going as this for halloween including kids and that is a bummer to me too because it is just it is quite violent and i think if we can attach any uh sort of higher meaning to it about class discussion or something like obviously that's not what the kids are there for and I, I would posit that it's not what most adults are there for either but at least like I don't know there's a veneer of having discussion about sort of like class and wealth and poverty and whatever and you know the lengths what people are willing to go to but um certainly I feel like who's letting their kid watch this you guys no not for I children. don't know well, it has to be at least be six before I let her watch it. <laughs> six and a half, maybe. There you go. That is, I think, about it. I think that should wrap it up. It was a good, solid hour and change. How do you feel about this year? I feel good. I, I feel good. I do. There was you know, all the things we didn't talk about, which is completely fine and good for the listener to the of this. But I do think there was a whole bunch sort of in, in my middle of my list that were very on par with one another and all and very different but i think you, we watched a lot of good ones is is sort of my feeling i think lots of very entertaining movies i had a lot of think a lot to think about with a lot of them but i i do think i'm not sure there was one this year 
that really scared me. I think I had a lot of unsettling ones. I think I have ones that I'll be thinking about just because I'm still sort of puzzling them or glad there's not a zombie virus or, you know, whatever it is, but there's nothing. I don't have any, like, I have to run back to bed from the bathroom in the middle of the night things. And I, in years past, I have had those. And so maybe that's good. Like, I don't love that middle of the night feeling, but I do like the experience of watching something that's scary. So, um, I know partially that was the ones that I chose to watch. So I might've been more self-editing than I was even anticipating being, but very thematic movies, very, uh, sort of dismal and unsettling movies, but I don't know that there are any scary movies this year for me. Fair. Yeah. I, yeah. A lot, a lot of vibes, a lot of tension, a lot of stress, <laughs> but not a lot of bone chilling scares. I would agree. And again, I don't know that that's a critique because I sort of enjoy being able to sleep also. And I, and I liked watching all the movies and sometimes the really scary ones, there's part of me that likes it. And then I'm also like cowering under a blanket or whatever. So I don't know that that's the most enjoyable, but I have to, I just, I'm, I'm posing that question for myself about what I want to get out of these scary movie watching for future years. And if I need to challenge myself a little bit. When we expand it to three months next year and we watch 60 movies, you got to think about it. I bet some of them will be scary. And by the time we're at 12 months yeah. and this podcast is eight hours long. Spooky season um, is all year long. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for your time and our chat. I enjoyed it very much. And I enjoyed uh, watching and discussing these movies with you all along. Hopefully a few people also enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, we'll talk scary movies anytime. And I also had so much fun. And as you say, one day we'll be back in person getting to watch some of these scary movies and I won't be in Pennsylvania. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Happy Halloween to you and all. Boo! Bye!